Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speaker's secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. In this new episode of Founder Series, we are sitting down with Benjamin Angie, co-founder at Aromatico, who were the winner of our last quarterly pitch competition back in December 2021. Aromatico is bioengineering microorganisms by giving them the ability to produce carbon-negative chemicals. They help household brands become more sustainable by providing them with renewable flavors and fragrances solutions. In the long run, their vision is to decarbonize the entire petrochemical industry with a nature-based solution. I was excited to speak with Ben, an incredible young bioengineer from Imperial College who is passionate about dancing and gaming and who even found himself dancing in a Mick Jagger music video clip. After several startup failures from which he learned a lot, Ben met his co-founders who were studying and developing the microorganism in the labs prior to the launch of Aromatico in late 2020. In this episode, we will learn more about the chemical industry landscape and its heavy impact on the planet. Together, we will cover the initial challenges of building their technology and nailing down the mechanism to genetically modify bacteria to produce targeted chemicals at scale. 
we will also go deeper into the potential of their Unix technology to reduce the cost of chemical production by 50% with a natural-based solution. Their approach of a decentralized production model and their go-to-market strategy initially targeting high-value chemicals. Finally, Benjamin will share the next steps necessary in achieving their vision and how you can get involved. During the second part of the talk, Benjamin will give his secret source for early stage founders looking to fundraise and the importance of going out of the labs to network. Finally, he will share some of the books he learned from and his own work-life balance tips for busy founders. Benjamin, welcome to the show. Hi Ben, welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us uh, today, especially because uh, last time we spoke, it was uh, back in December and you were the winner of the quarterly pitch competition that, uh, that we did with Startup Basecamp. So very excited to, uh, to dig uh, and uh, dive more into uh, Aromateco. Yep. Hi Guy. Uh, really excited to join this, this podcast. Uh, quite a number of things has changed the last month but yeah excited to be here <laughs> fantastic i'm uh, excited to to, lear, to to learn more about uh, all of those updates and uh, and as uh, as usual before we start can you give us a 30 second uh, intro about uh, aromatico yep um at, at aromatico we are bioengineering microorganisms and giving them the ability to produce carbon negative chemicals so that's basically the pitch um we are targeting the flavor and fragrance industry sector first before, you know, with scale that we target lower value chemicals like petrochemical replacements. And that's the whole goal is to decarbonize the chemical industry. That's so exciting. So, but let's start from the, from the top as uh, usual, we always put uh, the guest uh, in, in the center of the interview as, a, as, the, as the human, as we like to, uh, like to say. So can you tell us a bit more about uh, your personal uh, story? background what are you passionate about i mean what do you do and love to do besides uh, building aromatico what makes you feel inspired or like your best self i mean who is ben right so i recently graduated from imperial two years ago from uh integrated masters in bioengineering um in uni i started a startup and i realized that that's where I want to go in life. I want to build businesses. I want to see something that I create by myself become, you know, huge. Unfortunately, the one that I started in university didn't work out. And then I, once I graduated, I started another one. And that's how I got a visa to stay in the UK for two years under a startup visa. That one unfortunately failed as well in the pandemic. And it gave me a lot of hard lessons to learn. And during that time, I, you know, I found Aromatico and I found Johnny and I found Patrick and I joined them. And um, we became who we are now. And uh, sorry, what was the question again? Like the rest <laughs> of the question? <laughs> the rest of the question is like, what do you like to do besides uh, building Aromatico? I, who what are like you, to do are besides... you passionate about, uh, I, mean, I don't know, like dancing, art? Uh, do you have like any passion on the uh... sides? Uh, what is exciting you besides uh, working and, and building the company? Yeah, sorry, man. I've just been talking about startups like for the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about all this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I used I, I dance. That, that reminded me, I dance. I used to dance um, in the university team. I play basketball as well. I'm a huge 
gamer, but like I play I play games on the side with my friends. That's that's how I socialize with my friends. Um, but I'm mostly quite. I wouldn't say I don't know if I call myself artistic, but I do dance and I have been in plays. Um, and I act as well. Uh, I think the most notably notable thing I've done in that area is I have been in a Mick Jagger music video as a dancer slash actor. You know, dancer slash extra, yeah. So that's the most, probably most interesting thing about me in that area. Uh, other than that, before I got into Imperial, I think the thing that made me stand out in university applications for Imperial was that I loved to tinker around with stuff. So I used to build a whole lot of random things. Um, one was a light suit that would flash according to the music, how it sounds. And if you know who Wolverine, Wolverine is, like the Marvel character, mm-hmm. I, I built his mechanical claws from like, it's, it's made of metal with springs and stuff. And I could re- retract it and ex, uh, ex, extend it as well. So I was a huge tinkerer, and then when I got into uni, I got into dance and acting and all that stuff. Exciting. So you see, um, more than just uh, building, a, building a startup, you have uh, also like uh, very cool and uh, unusual stuff uh, on the side that you like to do. So you, you mentioned uh, just at first when you, when you started the, uh, the, the interview uh, that the succession of the two different companies that you uh, that you started and then uh, that you had to stop and and in a way uh, failed what did you learn from that experience that in a way you could bring with you uh, into starting aromatico um co-founders made make a huge difference like that that is the number one thing that i learned um if like and at at the start when a lot of mentors or a lot of workshop teachers or people that I meet in the startup world when they tell me you know most of the time when startup fails it, it fails because of infighting like or not, not even infighting just founders not being aligned and I find that to be really really true after those two startups and now I'm seeing it in a different a few different startups as well and that's why they failed as well um, it's because when the founders are not aligned with what they want to do, it, it generally just falls apart. And that's that's the number one thing that I was looking for when I joined Aromatico. So I know my two co-founders, Patrick and Johnny, they are both really, really passionate about uh, Aromatico and what they want to achieve with it. And that's one of the main reasons why um, I decided to join them as well. Okay, so you, you mentioned also a very interesting uh, interesting point um, regarding the uh, importance of the climate aspect of uh, of, of of the business uh, that that is uh, for you uh, in a way less as a priority as building something that makes sense for the future. If I uh, and correct mm-hmm. me if I'm uh, if I'm wrong, uh, can you tell me a bit more maybe that why and how do you think that in a way this climate aspect of it uh, makes sense uh, and do you feel any like motivation or extra motivation to uh, in a way get involved into that or uh, by building uh, a solution that at scale could have 
a potential uh, you know impact on uh, the climate crisis that we have today so i think i i know it's a bit weird from coming from a climate tech founder that i'm not really um it doesn't radiate as like the climate problem doesn't radiate as much to me because i know there is a problem like it's there and we need solutions to those problems and i don't really see it as you know we need to build these companies to try to solve those problems and it's it's more like to solve those problems these companies have to be built so and that's how i see it, you know that this thing is is the future there's no way that there's no way in hell that um, these climate tech companies are not going to be there in the future. And that's what really drives deeper what I believe in. It's we don't really need to change the way we do things. Like humans don't really need to change our behaviors on how, what we do. It's more like we need to change the way of what is being done right now. So all systems have to go. Um, whatever that's there, like decades old systems, they all have to go. And now is the time that you see all these climate tech companies coming out. And those climate tech companies are actually the ones replacing those old systems into new systems that are more sustainable and are more efficient. And that itself would help with climate change. Makes sense. So before we start uh, going into details about uh, Aromitico, uh, we'd like to zoom out and get a little bit more like the, the context about uh, the landscape that Aromatico, Aromatico is like evolving on. So here we're talking about the chemical production landscape today. Uh, you guys are intending to replace the traditional way they're currently produced. Can you tell us a bit more about this uh, chemical uh, in itself? What are the, the major ones uh, that uh, are produced today? Uh, what are the impact and, and, and how are they, uh, in a way, uh, manufactured? Uh, by who do you, do you see like any like big, big players? Uh, what are the currently alternatives existing to, uh, to them? So the main three chemicals or the main group groups are um, methanol, methanol, ammonia, and high-value chemicals. Those those three are the ones, like three groups are the ones that are polluting the environment, uh, if you were to call it. Um, generally, the whole chemical industry consumes about 11% of global energy, and with that, they emit 7.5% of global greenhouse gases, and that's about 4 billion tons of greenhouse gases um, and it's it, it's it, it, it's insane because it's also going to become the largest driver of uh, global oil consumption by 2030 so if you imagine how much fuel you know all the cars in the world take and how much fuel all the pl flights in the world take the chemical industry is going to use more fuel in 2030 than both of those things. What are the applications of those chemicals in our daily life? Uh, I mean, for anyone who's listening to the, the show today, uh, 
you mentioned like those three groups. Uh, what are the application in there, and where do you think that there's a there's a spot there? Yeah, so those three groups, they are considered base chemicals. So they're being they will be used to make other different chemicals, which would then in turn be used in almost everything you see actually in your daily life. Um, and these are what I like to call like the silent killers in in, in climate change. Mm-hmm. It's because you know you use your shampoo, you use your bars of soap, you use your chair, your furniture, everything that we consume as a human has some form of chemical being added to it or being used in its production process. So it's everywhere. It's just that we don't we don't see it and that's why it, it's so important to target this industry. Mm. Well, those, tree, uh, those chemicals are at the base of other chemicals. For instance, if you take like a labels of any you know, even like in the food industry, like you look at all of the additives that you can find in your own food, would those chemicals like be at the base of creating those ones that you see today? So it's really, as you mentioned, like the behind the scene, the backstage of the chemical industry that you guys are looking at. Yes. So we are, we are not that far down yet. So these base chemicals are usually like lower in value. We are currently where that's where we want to get in the future mm-hmm. but currently we are at um, a very high high value chemical so those base chemicals probably sell for about one dollar per kilo or 50 cents per kilo or even less than that what we want to try to what we where we're at right now is selling chemicals that are worth around a few hundred dollars per kilo and where we want to go as we scale is to be able to scale the technology in such a way where it's commercially viable for us to start selling chemicals that are around a dollar a kilo or less. I think it's a good segue to go and dive into more like the, the specific or the subcategories as uh, you guys mentioned that Aromatico is now targeting the, what do we call the flavors and fragrance uh, part of the, of the market. Uh, can you give us a little bit of overview of that specific uh, subsection of the chemical uh, industry market in itself? like? Uh, how are those uh, base chemicals produced? Uh, where do they come from usually? Um, if any, there's, there's like any big players there. I guess you can divide them as of today already in like what we call the eco-sustainable one and the one that are issued from the petroleum and oil-based, uh, you know, production. Mm-hmm. So actually, I should have mentioned this just now as well. Um, chemicals are mostly... I should have started with this actually. Ch- chemicals are mostly produced by synthesizing fossil fuels. So that's the main way and that's why it's so cheap cheap to produce chemicals and that's why they can sell it so cheaply because fossil fuel is cheap, oil is cheap. In the flavor and fragrance industry, um, it's also synthesized through fossil fuels but the natural, like there's two categories, there is the um, non-natural, the artificial version, the synthesized version and the natural version. So the synthesized version are all synthesized through fossil fuels but the natural version is extracted through nature so tropical agriculture which they have to cut down trees and you know have a plot of land and grow the crop and then cut them down and then you know harvest it and grow some more and that's pretty unsustainable as well Um, what happens is after they do that in the supply chain these manufacturers would then sell 
raw materials, uh, the chemicals as raw materials to flavor and fragrance companies. And these flavor and fragrance companies would then mix and match these raw materials together to perform to make a flavor profile to sell to end users you know not sorry end users and manufacturers like fmcg brands mm-hmm. like unilever to be able to use that flavor profile or uh, smell profile to incorporate in their end product like your soap or your shampoo or, your, or any sweets that you eat and sell it to uh, customers so it's basically like cooking in a way you have the raw ingredients, you take the raw ingredients, you cut them up into different ratios and then you mix them together to form like a sauce and then this, you just sell that sauce to the chef which would then, you know, put the sauce and the chicken and everything and they plate it nicely and they sell it to customers. That's basically the flavor and fragrance industry. Um, and because of how huge the chemical industry is, this flavor and fragrance subsector people may think that it's small but it's actually not small as well it's it's worth actually 38 billion dollars the whole global flavor and fragrance industry for the natural fragrance and fragrance industry it's worth about four billion dollars and the the area like just two chemicals that we're working on right now is worth already a hundred and six million like the entire market so it's pretty huge. A bit about uh, now deeper about um, Aromatico. Uh, if you can tell us a bit more like the, the, the story uh, behind it, like how did you meet your, your co-founders uh, and what is or are the initial problems you have identified uh, and that you are trying to, uh, to solve with, uh, with the company? Um, why did you choose to go to that, uh, that market at first in itself? Hmm. So, how do I meet my co-founder? We were both actually, yeah, yeah, that brings me back to the start, actually, for with dancing. I, I met him before university started. Um, he, we met at a dance society meetup. And that's how I first got to know him, as a friend. Um, and then throughout university, I was his flatmate in university and once we graduated I actually I didn't know about his startup at first I didn't know about Aromatico this is and then um, once my second startup like I would have fast forward a bit once my second startup failed when I was still in the UK it was the pandemic I didn't really know what to do in my life I reflected a lot on what I should be doing should I get a job should I continue you know working on a startup then during that time, I felt, you know, I was quite quite useless. I wasn't doing anything at home. And I reached out to, to Johnny, which is my co-founder, the one that I met at the start of university. Yeah. I reached out to him and asked, uh, asked him about, you know, his, his startup because I think six months before, he, he told me he was working on something and he was trying to get some uh, advice from me and things like that about his pitch. And then... Yeah, it, it, it I, I remember like right after uh, that, that startup failed, two months after I approached him and I asked him, you know, could I just join you guys and help you guys build what you're building? Because I really think what you're building is really cool and I really think that's the future. And I just I just want to be there to do to do something with my time and I'll help you with your business side because at that time, I also knew the, the business person that was with them has left the company. And so they had a gap in 
you know, business skills because Johnny and Patrick are both uh, academics and they work, they mainly work on the tech and not the business side. So they they accepted me in as sort of like a part-time role um, and I was on probation as well. So I told them, you know, let's let's see how it goes. If whether I'm a good fit for you guys and if you guys are a good fit for me because you know, obviously the co-founders have to work really well together. After three months, they formally, surprisingly, accepted me into the team. And they, um, a few more months after, we realized that, you know, with this team being like that, a lot of things were being accelerated. And so we decided to stay as a team and then incorporate the company together. And the rest is... Well, not really history about it's the beginning of everything of Aromatico <laughs> um, other than that I can speak for Johnny and Patrick both of them before I came in they worked on the tech for about uh, two years really and it's actually all part of Johnny's PhD mm-hmm. um, he really want he really liked how you can genetically modify a bacteria he was he's a biologist and he likes genetically modifying bacteria and he's just interested in in that area and he's at at first they were trying to create chemicals like any chemicals low low grade chemicals with bacteria Um, after a few tries we found out like during the whole process of how we got into flavor and fragrance is because as i said before chemicals produce that are bringing produced using microbes are not really commercially viable right now, um, especially for the lower value chemicals. So that's why we started targeting flavor and fragrance chemicals because they are higher in value. And so, and thus we can start selling them straight away. And that's why he's working on flavor and fragrances right now. Um, before that, in his PhD, he has really managed to create around 480 DNA constructs and around 24 different chemicals before we found the right the right chemical to go into. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a bit more about the, the, the process in itself? Like how do you, or how did they uh, select those uh, microbes, bacteria? What's happening? Like today you, you mentioned that they are uh, modifying their genes and then how do you do that? Like how do you select them? Uh, why do you choose those ones and then uh, how does it work in the, in the process and for people like like me that doesn't know that much about about it like how can you explain us like uh, simply like how the, the production process and the, the in a way the discovery process uh, works um, so there's a lot of reading about past literature and what has been done what has been not done uh, what can be done what can be not done but generally speaking on a cellular level um, these microbes called cyanobacteria they are introduced a new gene so you know how your gene codes for your hair color your hair length your eye color all these things we can introduce new genes for these um, microorganisms to produce certain chemicals so they they already by themselves take in co2 to to use CO2 in photosynthesis to produce um, mainly food for themselves. So we can introduce new genes during that, you know, that process to 
get them to make food from themselves, but also get them to make chemicals for us. And the way we do it, um, which I think, I'm not sure if other companies do it, but I think it's special the way we do it is because our tech is modular. It's like Lego bricks. So all we have to do is work on specific genes that code specific enzymes, mm-hmm. right? And and then we can patent those individual enzymes that we work on. And depending on how we mix and match those enzymes, we can produce different chemicals. And that's why, you know, with maybe three enzymes, we can already make around 30 plus, 40 plus different chemicals. I mean, 30 plus, 40 plus different, like, in like base of a, of a new flavor or an existing flavors, correct? Uh, it's the individual chemicals that, yeah, that will be used in the flavor profile. In, wait, let me, let me try to explain this a bit, a bit better. So we, we produce these individual chemicals mm-hmm. that will be used as ingredients in the, the taste flow profile. So let's say the FNF, so I call them FNF, flavor and fragrance companies. They will be taking many different individual chemicals and putting them together in different ratios to form different tastes. So the, the smell or the taste of an orange probably has, let's say, for example, five, five different chemicals that are in there. And we produce those five different chemicals for the taste of an orange. We don't, we don't mix them together. We don't give you the taste of an orange. We just give you the individual chemicals. Okay. And, and that's what we do with the microbes. And each microbes are producing one uh, chemicals per se based on the gene modification that you have been uh, yep. introducing in them. Okay. So, yeah, we introduce the gene into the microbes and then all we do with the microbes is we stick them into a giant fermenter. Um, so if you can imagine how beer or wine is being made at the start, it's, it's yeah. fermented in a large tank. We do the same thing. The tank is will probably be transparent because they need sunlight and they need LED lights. So it's a trans, huge transparent tank. We just stick them in there, grow them, and then they will produce the chemicals continuously. And we have a method for extracting the chemicals continuously as well. So how do you extract that? Uh, how do you uh, separate in a way the microbe and the, the, the chemicals that is the resulting of the in a way, the natural living process of that uh, microbes? So we theoretically and possibly we, te- we tested it once and we think that it's theoretically possible is to separate them through just condensation because the chemicals that we're working with are very volatile. So they become gases very easily. I think that's a very simple way to say that. They become gases at room temperature and all we need to do is to condense them down. And then from there, we have the pure version of the chemicals. And we want to do it this way because the way it's being done in industry right now is they grow the, mic- the, the bacteria. And while it's producing, it will reach a certain amount that you want them to produce. And then they will kill all of the, they will batch uh, kill all the microbes to extract the chemical out. And that's just in my opinion, like a waste of time because you're going to batch, you're going to do it batch by batch and it takes a long time for the microbes to grow. So in that way, it makes our, like, our process is a bit more, it's a different in a way because we can continuously do it because we're working with different types of chemicals. Mm-hmm. 
and those microbes uh, you can find I guess like anywhere um, I mean naturally where do you find those microbes like how do you collect the first one that you decide to then modify then I guess you put them as you mentioned into this this tank this uh, bioreactor and then you launch the, the process how do you source those initial microbes and how did you select those ones as the the one that were in a way the easiest to uh, modified uh, based on the needs of the chemical that you're able to uh, that you're seeking to produce. So we are actually working with two different microbes. Um, the first one is actually just E. coli, so it's the it's the bacteria that gives you food poisoning, basically. Um, and we work with E. coli because f E. coli is f the build test cycle for E. coli is a lot faster than the other microbe that we're working with is which is called cyanobacteria and they are actually comparable to algae they are they are, they are the other name for cyanobacteria is called blue green algae um, they grow in lakes uh, they have a blue green color to them and they photosynthesize and sometimes they almost kill they're like toxic to some lakes because they grow uncontrollably right and that's actually what we want in, in, in production because we want them to grow well. But yeah, as I was explaining, we, we use E. coli at first. It's because the build test cycle is faster and then once we confirm certain things in E. coli, we then shift it over to cyanobacteria just because cyanobacteria grows slower than E. coli. And cyan with cyanobacteria, that's where we actually you know have this carbon negative process where it takes CO2 out of the air and it produces chemicals. to put this first uh, prototype and where are you now in which stage in terms of, of development? I mean, it's still like, I guess, very lab-based uh, solution that you have. Uh, where are you at uh, now? We are currently in a, still the lab phase, still the lab scale of stuff. So whatever we're pro producing is still in very minute quantities, but we have proven that we can build it. From what experience, Johnny, um, to, to build this two new, to make these two new chemicals that we are trying to make, he, there is a two-step, three-step process. One is to confirm that those individual genes, as I mentioned before, works by themselves. The next one is to confirm whether it works um, together in a, whole, in a, in a cell. And then the third part is to confirm whether it works in cyanobacteria. So the first part so far um, to confirm whether both individual genes worked, it took Johnny about two months to, to, to get to confirm that. And he calls it uh, the bioconversion. So we can make the chemicals through bioconversion. The, the second part of it where we have to confirm it in a cell, it's probably going to take Johnny about another one month and a half to two months to confirm whether it works in a cell as a whole and we call that the novel biosynthesis of the chemical <laughs> and after that he has to transfer the whole thing into a cyanobacteria and that is probably going to take even longer i would say about four or five months okay so and the so whole, the whole process is it about like you know from the need of a of a base chemical to when you guess in a way master the uh, production process 
what's the, the the time average there it's about six seven months to produce uh, a new chemical and as of today you guys are able to produce how many chemicals you said around 30 so johnny has been able to produce 20 24 different chemicals okay he has he has produced 24 different chemicals and that's attributing to i think i should mention that uh, if if we already have the genes we don't have to go through the first part we can just skip to the second part so it costs yeah. a lot of time there because of how we can mix and match our genes yeah. um, and mix and match our enzymes to produce different chemicals so he has produced around 24 different ones in the in the span of two years so can you tell us a bit more about the uh, current and expected economics of uh, Aromatico? I mean, what is the, the business model that you uh, you guys have behind that? What is like the, the cost of, of production, uh, eventually like the, the margin, if you have uh, uh, some ideas already? Uh, and how would it look like this uh, full-scale infrastructure? I mean, are you seeing that uh, production will be... Uh, completely centralized in one country or would be like more like uh, decentralized model with more like smaller uh, reactors to uh, in a way to to provide uh, your customers directly can you tell us a bit more about uh, all of this mm -hmm. um, so right now the aim is to be a b2b wholesaler of these chemicals or manufacturer so we manufacture it and then we sell the chemicals to maybe suppliers traders or the FNF companies themselves. Um, right now, it costs around one hundred dollars per kilo to make these uh, like our first few chemicals, and then over time, it will gradually decrease down to fifty dollars per kilo, like in the next two years or so, and then to twenty dollars per kilo in the next three to four years. Um, we're trying to aim it. We're trying to aim to get it as low as we can, so we can go into you know those bigger markets that I spoke about. Um, and we would actually be selling the chemicals at around fifty percent cheaper than than market chemicals right now in the natural uh, side of in the natural market. So let's say our first chemical would sell for five hundred dollars per kilo. We're looking to sell it around twenty five. Uh, two hundred fifty dollars per kilo, and so the margins, as you can tell, if we take one hundred dollars to produce it, it's it's gonna be quite high. But those, you know, that margin will probably not be profits. It will probably be reinvested into the company, into the R and D to build other chemicals. If the so with that, we need to partner with firms, uh, companies that already have the infrastructure to, to grow these microbes in the first two, three years or so. And then hopefully we'll be able to raise enough funding to build our own manufacturing plant. If all, I'm not, I'm like touching wood right now. If all of those goes really bad, there is a second option of generating revenue through our IP. So we may license our IP to other biomanufacturing companies to, to make whatever that, you know, we discovered. Mm -hmm. So right now we're we're in lab scale. The next scale we have to hit is the one liter scale. So it's in like a small little tank, and then the next one we have to hit is a ten liter scale. So it's a little bit bigger tank, but after that we need um, the help of people that already have the infrastructure in place, so we can scale 
or at least yeah we can scale to around a thousand a hundred liters to a thousand liters per tank um and we have to do that with we can't do that with the manufacturers that we want to partner with first we have to do it with uh, like a test run with other pilot partners so something like cpi the center for process innovation and they really have the infrastructure so we can test out whatever we need to test out with them get the numbers correct before we approach uh, companies in, in in this field for us to partner with them to make our stuff because you know we got to get all like the numbers for how we should grow the microbes you know like the temperature the pressure the flow the nutrients that it needs all of those has to be right before we approach the partners mm-hmm. um and after that we are yeah as i said before we are going to try to build our own plant so something like what our competitor is doing right now um our own plant with our own systems i haven't really thought about whether we want to do it centralized or decentralized but I feel that a decentralized model would be a lot better because that would cut down on, you know, transportation and you know shipping the product, and that's also one main cause about on on keeping carbon emissions low, you know, and that's I think that's what Solugen and another company who's trying to do the same thing is doing, and they have these bio forgeries all around the world, so in Singapore and in Europe in the US. I hope that's what we're able to achieve next time as well. And and yeah, um, the scale is to go international with this and to be the ones that are going to replace um, you know, existing companies that use fossil fuels to make chemicals. And um, actually, can I touch upon like competitors a bit? Because this is something that's really important that I feel I should say because... A lot of people keep a lot of yeah a lot of people keep asking me you know aren't you scared about competitors taking away whatever you guys have done because they're really so big, but the thing is you gotta understand the chemical industry is huge. It's you know if there is, if we are able to have multiple oil and gas companies like Shell, BP, Exxon, Petronas, and they all literally do the same thing they they mine and they extract oil from the ground and they sell it to people. Why can't we have multiple biochemical companies? And that's what essentially what I think this space will be in the future. There's going to be multiple of us targeting different chemicals that already have a huge market and we all can exist at the same time internationally. So I think that's a good segue. Like, uh, let's dig a little bit deeper. I mean, who are the, the, the competitors today? You have the traditional one and then you have, uh, I would say, new... Uh, new new waves uh, of tech companies like Solugen that you uh, mentioned. Who are the the other ones that uh, uh, are in a way uh, jumping into the into the market and doing uh, same as you? And my other question would be like, how defensible is uh, your uh, process of uh, of production? Uh, you mentioned some patents, but what is? I mean, how can you be uh, you know ensure that? Uh, you won't be, uh, even though you see a fragmentation of the of the market, which is uh, interesting to have like multiple players. But how can you ensure to, for instance, investors or uh, others that 
you guys will be able to uh, take a sufficient uh, piece of the of the market as well for the for the company like the upcoming companies the biochemical companies i know there is solugen there is a company called fortanol a company called fico bloom um and i would say you know, is our tech defensible yes it it very much is because all of us are working on different types of chemicals and so to produce those different types of chemicals you need R&D because it's entirely new it's entirely new way of making those chemicals and so for them to copy us they will need to go through the same R&D the same amount of time before they can copy us which by then we have already patented something to do with those chemicals or to do with making those chemicals and so you know that's one thing patenting our chemicals is one thing um Another thing is the way we are approaching this is very different from how our competitors are approaching it. They are trying to target lower value chemicals first. And it's depending on how much funding they get, it may be sustainable or unsustainable to their business. It's because they have to build they have to get they have to raise millions and millions of pounds, like hundred few hundred millions of pounds to be able to build their own factory. Or set up a pilot plant to prove that it's real. So, uh, for instance, Solugen, you know, not Solugen, sorry, Fortanol, they have been in this game for around 11 years, and even till now, they have not been able to make the main chemical that they want to sell commercially viable enough for them to sell. So it's not the production method is not cheap enough for them to sell yet, and just only currently they've managed to raise a few hundred millions of pounds to be able to build their first pilot plant which would take I think a few more years so the whole process for them to start selling what they want to sell will probably take another six seven years and where we are approaching this is you know everybody's going to the same destination but in a different way and we want to how we want to approach this is by approaching higher value chemicals first to make sure that our company is sustainable that we are generating revenue and profits reinvesting that in the business, surviving the whole thing until we are able to touch on lower value chemicals, let's say 10 years into the future. Um, so and that's basically the, yeah. the roadster, uh, Tesla roadster approach before building the, in the future, the family car. You're going for the high yes. value market. Yeah. Yep. So just before we, we conclude this, uh, this first part of the interview, um, what keeps you guys up at night right now uh, and what's next for Aromatico? What keeps us up at night? I, I think Johnny, what keeps us up, keep him up at night is, is the anxiety of his machines failing <laughs> if he needs something important. But uh, nowadays, currently we're in the process of fundraising. So it's uh, that that keeps me up at night. Um, how do I talk to investors? How do I negotiate something really well with them? Um, what you know gets us to wake up in the morning early to get excited about working on this is that we really see a future on on this, and it's not only us that see a future on this right now. It's a lot of different people started approaching us and you know validating what we're doing and so we see progress there and it's it's exhilarating you know knowing that the thing that you believe in 
is what other people believe in as well. And that's what at least keeps me waking up every single morning wanting to work on this. Um, where we are right now, I'm not sure if I should say this. Maybe I should just say this. We are, we are currently accepted into a really huge uh, biotech accelerator. And that's, that's the next exciting step for us. And then we, I would say going through the accelerator will really speed up a lot of things for us. And hopefully by July, we can start approaching investors to raise a two million pound seat round, uh, which we would hope to close by December. Okay, exciting that. And uh, who, where is located the accelerator in the Bay? In US, yeah. <laughs> so because we haven't we haven't signed we haven't signed all the documents yet. Um, still still talking to them about how how we should do certain things. Okay. But but yeah. I mean, if the one that I'm thinking about, uh, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for for you guys for sure. Um. So uh, and excited to hear more about uh, about it in the in the future. Uh, when you guys uh, are done with the paperwork, uh, would love to to know yeah. more about it. Um. Quick last uh, question on my side. I mean, wh what is your personal opinion about the, the, the climate crisis? I mean, you mentioned that a little bit uh, about it, but uh, I mean, what would you say? Uh, what would be your words for to people who are afraid of all the terrible news and already visible consequences that uh, we have about climate change? Are we doomed or what would you tell them? I would say uh, the first thing that came to my head was be afraid. So I don't know if you watched the movie Don't Look Up. Sure. But that's that's basically what's happening with the climate crisis. Like humans we are really bad at predicting the future. We're just really really bad at predicting the future and so let's say like I have a, I have an exam in 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 2 months. I I can't predict how I'm going to feel in 2 months. So I'm going to enjoy myself now, but one week before the exam I'll go oh shit. You know, I need to study for this. But by that time, it's a bit too late. I can't study the whole subject or multiple subjects for a week. That's, for, for example, that's coming in a week. And that's what will happen to, climate, to, to, to our climate if we don't do something about it now. So we have to be very, very afraid and very, very, very aware that we need to put in the change now because like startups like mine, it's going to take 10 years to reach where we want to reach. And that's a long time. The climate, the earth is not going to wait for us. It is going to hit us and it's already hitting us now. It's just that we don't really notice it yet. So like there, are, I think I can speak for Malaysia. There's just this massive flood that just came in that I've never seen before that all my friends were affected with that, that we have not seen in like 20 years. Like all my life, I've not seen a flood this bad. And the reason why people don't pay attention to it is because it comes people go people get shocked and then once it goes away it's just normal again so yeah but the, that that's not the way we should treat the climate crisis right now we should be as i said afraid and maybe not afraid is not the right word but be very aware that these things are coming and it's going to come more frequently in the future if we don't do something about it now mm -hmm. And potentially, like, uh, you know, take uh, each of us at, uh, 
at our own level, uh, little, little steps towards uh, towards it by you know supporting uh, people like you, uh, supporting organization, mm-hmm. reading about it, speaking about it, uh, and maybe you know like uh, doing a little bit of uh, lobbying uh, towards our government. I mean, there's so many things to to be done, and I think uh, it's uh, uh, now or never the time to uh, to to start uh, moving towards that. And it's uh, not an easy uh, not an easy thing to do, yeah. for sure. So how can so, the community of, uh, of listeners can, uh, can help you? Can, how can they help me? Um, I think by buying more products that are eco-friendly and sustainable. Pe- people, when they use products, they are not aware where the products come from. right? And so, so we just keep using them without realizing, and that's why it's a, it's a silent killer to the environment. So it's not only just products, it's you know, the place that you live in as well, your house construction contributes to a lot of greenhouse gas emissions as well and it's all these things that on the back end needs to change but on the front end consumers need to be aware about it as well i think one of the difference that's going to happen soon in this space is that companies on the back end like uh, that used to be invisible to the public eye would start being very visible and they'll start raising their brand awareness and maybe in a form of like you know uh, approval seals so consumers know that when they use let's say products that are made by aromatico they know that it's coming from a sustainable source and they're helping the planet and that's one of the ways i guess consumers can help because for these big companies to start using aromatico's products or to start changing is from the consumer side so consumers can you know buy more eco-friendly products, buy more sustainable products, and that's the way you drive, drive everything. Um, they don't have to change their behavior really, really badly. You just have to pick the right products. That's it. So where do you find those right products? Do where do I find those right products? Any recommendation, any places? Uh, we're trying to put together a little green store as well to uh, kind of like, you know, showcase uh, different type of products, but it's not easy to find uh, yeah. them in a way. I would say it's not easy, yeah. Um, even for me, it's not really easy because there's a lot of greenwashing going on right now. Uh, needs to be, there needs to be more awareness on that part. And there are a few startups that are trying to do that. They're trying to, you know, group all these eco-friendly products in one area and then show you even how much carbon, yeah. you know, you get to reduce with them. Yeah, so if you know um, any even names a... or any interesting, uh, you know, people or resource, like don't hesitate to send them uh, always, uh, or we will be uh, definitely uh, interested to look at that. Uh, any question that yep. I did not ask you that I should have for this first part of the interview? Uh, I don't think so. I cover. I think you covered quite a lot. You covered so much that I just kept rambling on about stuff. <laughs> okay Ben thank you so much for taking the time to sp- uh, with us uh, today uh, tackling this uh, I would say very interesting but also like still like uh, a, lot of, a lot of shadows for me to for the, this old chemical market and I think you uh, really helped us to make it a, a bit more clear uh, today mm. uh, how it works I feel that there's a amazing opportunity that uh, you guys are uh, tackling there uh, and you. launching so uh, Thank you so much for joining us uh, today uh, and uh, hopefully we can uh, hear about uh, all the good news coming out of, uh, of you and your company in the, the next few months. Mm, thank, thank you so much to you as well for like giving us a platform to talk about this.
Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbscamp.org to discover more episodes like this one. And get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.